You are tuned to KVMR, FM Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. It's time for the KVMR Evening News for Thursday, November 12, 2020. For their support, we'd like to thank Beneficial Biologics, offering a full line of organic nutrients with commercial sales, support, and consultation. Founded in Humboldt County in 2010, distributed nationally, available locally in Nevada City, and at independent retail locations, Beneficial Biologics. The Chan Family Optometry, Vision Care Team, and Dr. Tiffany Chan provide general optometry services, testing, screening, and offering glasses, contacts, and LASIK. Located on Sierra College Drive in Grass Valley. Information, ChanFamilyOptometry.com. Well, coming up after NPR's national headlines and a look at our local weather, KVMAR will talk with Nevada County homeless residents and the people that are trying to improve their situation. After that, Gary Zimmerman will give us a look at our local economy and how it fares nationally. We'll close out our newscast with an essay from Molly Fisk. Coming up at 6.30 this evening, it's Making Contact, and at 7 o'clock we bring you Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Felton Pruitt. Now here's NPR Headline News. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. Democratic congressional leaders are slamming Republicans for refusing to acknowledge President-elect Biden's win. NPR's Claudio Grisales reports Democrats say the effort is distracting Republicans from working on a new coronavirus relief deal. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said Republicans' denials of Biden's win are very disconcerting and distracting from the work of negotiating another economic stimulus bill to address the pandemic. It's like the House is burning down and they just refuse to throw water on it. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer said the GOP needs to come to grips with their loss. Senate Republicans, stop denying reality. Stop deliberately and recklessly sowing doubt about our democratic process and start focusing on COVID. But Republicans say President Trump should be able to pursue his legal challenges to the vote. Claudia Grisales, NPR News, the Capitol. More than 144,000 new coronavirus cases were reported in the U.S. today alone, with some 66,000 people currently hospitalized. As counties in Georgia begin preparing for a hand tally of presidential election results, the state's top elections official is in quarantine. That's after his wife tested positive for the coronavirus. Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffsenberger said he'll be getting tested and will continue to self-quarantine no matter what the results show. Georgia's proceeding with a full hand tally of votes given the narrow margin by which Joe Biden leads there. The majority of congressional Republicans have yet to weigh in on President Trump's refusal to concede the election. NPR's Windsor Johnston reports Democrats are warning their silence could leave dangerous gaps in national security. Congressional Democrats say the transition is a crucial period that foreign adversaries could seek to exploit. Speaking on CNN, Independent Senator Angus King said Republicans are putting the nation at risk. Do they really want at this dangerous time for their legacy to be silence? Everybody knows that this election is over. This discussion of the various ballots and fraud, there's been no allegation where it's risen to the the level of even coming close to overturning one of the elections. The Office of Director of National Intelligence this week said it would not have contact with Biden's transition team or grant the president-elect briefings until Trump authorizes the General Services Administration to acknowledge Biden as the winner. 
Windsor Johnston, NPR News. According to a new report from Southwest Airlines, rising COVID-19 cases nationwide are again cutting into bookings. It comes at a difficult time for the airlines, just ahead of the important Thanksgiving holiday, normally a busy travel period. Southwest said today leisure travel bookings were up slightly last month, but that is already beginning to fade. Stocks gave ground today amid heightened coronavirus concerns. The Dow was down 317 points. The Nasdaq fell 76 points. The S&P 500 dropped. 35 points. This is NPR. The U.S. is starting fiscal 2021 the way it began the previous fiscal year with a massive pool of red ink. The Treasury Department reporting the federal government ran up a record shortfall in October of $284.1 billion, double what it was a year ago. The run-up is due to soaring spending to deal with the coronavirus pandemic and declining revenues. Children's advocates and the U.N. are applauding Mexico's pledge to no longer put minors in the country's immigration detention centers. As NPR's Kerry Khan reports, the change in policy comes after Mexico detained a record number of underage migrants. The U.N. said the change will strengthen childhood protection by, quote, making their best interests central. Advocates for children called the new policy an incredibly positive step for Mexico. Migrant minors apprehended by Mexican authorities will now be turned over to child welfare authorities instead of the National Immigration Agency. Last year, more than 50,000 children were detained in Mexico, most of them from Honduras and Guatemala. That's an 82% increase over 2018, according to the International Detention Coalition. Mexico has been under increasing pressure from the Trump administration to do more to crack down on U.S.-bound migrants traveling through the country. Kerry Khan, NPR News, Mexico City. Mortgage rates after reaching record lows are moving back up again, though they still remain at their lowest level in decades. Mortgage buyer Freddie Mac says the average rate on a 30-year mortgage is 2.84%, up from 2.78% last week. The average 15-year mortgage rose slightly to 2.34%. By way of contrast, it was the 30-year mortgage was 3.75% a year ago. This is NPR. Taking a look at our local weather forecast for Grass Valley, tonight partly cloudy with lows in the mid-40s. On Friday, rain beginning after 8 a.m. with highs in the mid-40s. In Sacramento tonight, partly cloudy with lows in the mid-40s. On Friday, rain possible after 10 a.m. with highs in the mid-50s. In Truckee tonight, clouding up overnight with lows in the mid-20s. On Friday, snow beginning around 10 a.m. with highs in the mid-30s. And in Angels Camp, tonight cloudy with lows in the upper 30s, a chance of rain on Friday in the afternoon with highs in the mid-50s. This is the KVMR Evening News. Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts, Where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise. And these are the Bravehearts. Hello, everybody. I am here with Carol, who is an advocate with the organization Sierra Roots. I just want to start out by knowing your story. Like, what drew you? to working with homeless people? Well, I raised my kids in Berkeley. And um, our church that we went to was about two blocks away from People's Park. 
And there was an incredible woman in our church who started a loaves and fishes program there. We did a lot of feeding, but it was actually very elegant feeding. There were these monthly dinners. So people would come from the park. She started because she asked the priests at the church if uh, at, at uh, Easter time, Easter week, she asked if she could um, make a lunch for people from the park out in front of the church. And the priest said, sure. So she brought a banquet of all good things like the best chocolate, macadamia nuts, you know, just the, the best of everything. And she just did this on her own and she set it up and we all went, wow, <laughs> you know, when we heard about it. And we want to do this too, Ellen. And so we started these dinners and at the, at the dinners that were once a month, you could sign up to cook or you could sign up to serve or you could sign up to be a host. And so I signed my whole family up to be hosts so that they would sit shoulder to shoulder with people because you were assigned a table and you were the hostess of, or host of the table. And so they, they would be at my table, of course, my, when they were little ones. I just have to say, Betty, that it was such a wonderful and moving experience for me because we were in a party atmosphere. It was always a party. I mean, it really was a party. There was a birthday cake and everyone who had a birthday that, you know, we had them go up and sing happy birthday and they got gifts. And it was really a party-like environment. And you know, when people come to a party, they act like they're at a party. We would hear people's stories. And this was, I was just so moved by the stories that I heard. Yeah. So, uh, and I and I was so interested in the fact that many of the people who were homeless in Berkeley, which was a lot of people, mm -hmm. um, that many of them had had really a sort of a psychic wound or an emotional wound, and they simply couldn't move on from that. Mm. They they stopped paying their mortgage. They quit their job. You know, maybe they lost a lover or, or a mate. And they, and they simply couldn't move on. And at the dinner, though, because we were all so polite, it was wonderful for me, but it was especially wonderful for me that my children could hear, you know, don't judge those people on the street before you hear what they're all about. Explain what is a Sierra Roots Advocate? At one's best, one does what Janice says is the way to approach, relate, whatever word you want to use with the people here who are chronically homeless. An advocate, as you know, is taught not to think of fixing a person. That's not what we do at all. That is almost the opposite of what we do. And Betty, for you, it must have been a salve to your spirit to hear what she wants you to do, because what she wants you to do is listen. She wants you to meet someone and listen to them and not say, you know, here I am, let's get to work. You know? exactly. She wants you to basically go to the lunch and sit and hang out with them and see what they have to say and say, you know, that you are an advocate. And if there's anything that I could partner with you to do that is something you would like to do, give me a call. Thank you for joining us today. 
Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. Speaking with Gary Zimmerman, and welcome back to KVMR News, Gary. Um, the election is over, but today I want us to talk about the labor markets and a warning from the Fed as well. This week I was reading about a Bureau of Labor Statistics survey on job openings, new workers hired, and workers leaving their jobs. I hear that that survey has a funny name. Let's start with that. Paul, yes, this this labor market survey is often called JOLTS, an, an admittedly funny name, especially when probably named by economists. JOLTS actually stands for Job Openings and Labor Market, excuse me, Labor Market Turnover Survey. So that's where the, the JOLTS come from. And the JOLTS survey tracks national trends in, in several key labor market areas, especially you know, move, new hires, folks moving into the, you know, getting jobs, uh, job openings. Uh, folks leaving the labor force, uh, think things that aren't um, movement in and out of the labor force and things that aren't showing up in the same way uh, in the common payroll uh, employment numbers or the unemployment rate figures. So basically what JOLTS, JOLTS does is on a monthly basis, it looks at the number of job openings, um, you want to know, it tells us whether there are fewer job openings at the end of a month rather than relative to the prior month or prior year. Uh, it gives us an indication of whether there have been, you know, the number of new hires in a particular month. So the number of people that have been hired in a month. Um, and it gives us information on job separations. And that mostly includes workers who are quitting jobs or being laid off from jobs in a month. Um, so, you know, it's it's another view of labor markets, you know, folks moving into and out of labor markets that, that you don't get in the same way um, with the payroll numbers or the unemployment number. And it also gives us a sense of what's going on in the, the national economy. JOLTS also does provide some useful breakdowns of data by four large geographic regions for the U.S., um, Northeast, the South, the Midwest, and the West. So it can give us some flavor of how the various regions of the U.S. economy are doing. And it does also provide some standard industrial breakdowns. So we can look at major industries like services and manufacturing, retail trade, government sector, you know, and breakdowns in each of those to give us a better flavor of how different industries or industrial sectors are doing. Okay, Gary, so what did the latest JOLTS, I love that name, JOLTS data <laughs> tell us about how many job openings there were in the economy in September of this year? Are there more openings or less than, than the same month of last year? Well, the job openings on the last business day of September 2020 were about 6.4 million, and that is similar to the August number, but down from 7 million a year ago in September 2019. And that decline in job openings over the past year, of course, is COVID-19 related, and it just you know reflects the huge increase in layoffs earlier in the year at the beginning of the recession when you know 22 million payroll jobs were lost. Um, you know the unemployment rate number, you know. <laughs> is still high at 6.9%. And, you know, we're seeing that, you know, there are actually fewer job openings for those, you know, 
for roughly 10 million payroll workers who were lost their jobs in the spring. So, you know, uh, still hard to find a job because they're not, you know, not that many openings relative to the economy. Um, so fewer, you know, job openings, of course, reflect the impact of COVID and the recession and suggest that we still have quite a ways to go um, to get the labor market back to you know, full employment or fully recovered. So, okay, so that means even though the economy and the GDP have been picking up, the number of job openings is down. How about other jolts indicators like new hiring? That's one. And how about has hiring picked up with the economy? The number of new workers hired that's reported on the JOLT survey gives us a good measure of the demand for workers. It answers the question, is demand for workers increasing? Is it stable or is it slowing? And the September 2020 numbers show that the new hires remained about 5.9 million in September, similar to a month ago or a year ago. So there's not much change there. And I, I take that as bad news, that even though the economy has been picking up um, Unemployment rate has been coming down. We're not seeing a surge in new hiring over the past month, and that suggests we're not going to see, you know, rapid improvement in the labor markets. Now, um, there are some areas, obviously, where jobs are improving and uh, others are getting worse. You know, the stronger areas are uh, accommodations and food services, picking up jobs and wholesale trade. Um, on the other side, the federal government has lost quite a few temporary jobs because of the census workers um, leaving. And the retail trade sector has lost quite a few. Um, so, you know, those are those are different areas. You know, in, entertainment, which you know about a lot about, Paul, is you know another area that's been been hard hit, and you can see that on the Jolt survey in terms of fewer openings and fewer new hires, fewer gigs, <laughs> fewer gigs. Yes, just to make it very simple, I'll talk to you about <laughs> that later. But um, okay, Gary, if job openings haven't increased and new hiring overall. Ha- also hasn't increased. What about the bad news? Uh, what about layoffs? <laughs> oh, bad news. Okay, yeah, layoffs are also part of the JOLTS uh, separation statistics that measure workers who've quit their jobs or been laid off from jobs or, or retired or died or transferred. And the total separation number, again, also has remained fairly stable at about 4.7 million in September and August, but it's down about over a million from last September. So, you know, that, that's a good feature. And now over the past year, we're finding that, you know, fewer workers are voluntarily leaving their jobs. Now, that's, you know, typical in and after a recession because they're, they're worried about, you know, getting a new job uh, if you leave. Um, so... Uh, that you know again suggests that we're not back um, in terms. Of we need more labor market improvement there to get the uh, quit rate up. Um, the good news actually from the survey here is with layoffs, layoffs are down about five hundred thousand in recent months, and that's a positive sign in the labor markets. I'll certainly take that. Okay, Gary. So labor markets, according to Jules, and as you indicated two weeks ago, still have a long ways to go to get back to pre-COVID conditions of full employment. Is that accurate? Yes, Paul, that's accurate. Um, you know, by tracking with, with Jolts tracking the opening, new job openings and hiring and job leaving, um, it gives us a, you know, a broader perspective on what's going on in labor markets and sort of fills in the gaps we get by just, you know, that we would have by only looking at the payroll job numbers, which, you know, we know are down 10 million workers from pre-COVID levels or the unemployment rate, which, you know, at 6.9% is down a lot 
uh, but it's still almost double the 3.5% pre-COVID unemployment rate. So some things up, you know, jolts, job openings, new hirings and layoffs and quick figures, you know, tell me that, you know, the overall indicators are providing a reasonable picture of labor markets and the economy. Um, and the jolt data are also telling us that, you know, they've, they've been seriously damaged by the COVID recession. We still have a long way to go to to get to normal in the labor markets and, and the overall economy. Well, Gary, um, Federal Reserve Chair uh, Jay Powell, he's been in the news. This was a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we spoke to spoke about it then, indicating that he and the Fed are very concerned about the need to control COVID in order to get the economy back on track. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, once again, Fed Chair Jay Powell's concerns are ones that most economists I know and follow share. Uh, there isn't time to waste here. Uh, and, you know, moreover, since, you know, COVID-19 is now resurging across the nation and it back to, you know, new record levels, you know, that likely will have serious negative impacts on the economy as well, particularly if it continues to spiral upwards. Um, you know, Powell understands that, you know, COVID needs to be taken care of and contained or limited to protect the economy. And, um, you know, that's, I think, what he was trying to emphasize to Congress and the administration, you know, recently, uh, and that was, you know, even before this very recent COVID surge, and, you know, he, he was worried before that the economy could stall out without, you know, federal, additional federal government support, you know. Um, so, you know, bottom line, to keep the pandemic from dam damaging the economy further, you know, the concern is that the federal government needs to use fiscal policy, like major increases in spending, to reduce the burden on the unemployed, avoid a downward spiral of business failures and boost overall spending in the economy back towards you know, pre-pandemic levels. So, you know, failure to act, I think in Powell's words, you know, <laughs> could be a tragedy. And that's a pretty scary um, assessment coming from a chair of the Federal Reserve System. And I think he's not alone among economists uh, to be worried. Well, Gary, a lot of information today. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a lot of things to think about. Thank you so much. We greatly appreciate you contributing this information to our community and being part of KVMR. Uh, thank you, Paul. Pleasure. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the Federal Reserve in San Francisco and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance. When Vice President-elect Kamala Harris delivered her victory speech on Saturday night, she spoke directly to a certain slice of the population. Every little girl watching tonight sees that this is a country of possibilities. NPR's Melissa Block has been talking with girls around the country who met Harris during her campaign to hear what they took away from those encounters. Jasmine Coronado was nine years old when she stood up amid a sea of grown-ups at a Kamala Harris event last year in Hemingway, South Carolina, and asked this question. Is it possible that if I try hard enough in life that I could become president? <laughs> Absolutely! 
this was in March, Harris was just a couple of months into the Democratic primary. Leading up to you being president, understand every day of your life you have an opportunity to lead. Jasmine says hearing that message from a biracial woman has special meaning. Because I myself am biracial and the fact that there is a woman like um, doing this stuff just makes me happy to know that there's people who will stand up for our gender. Throughout her campaign, Harris was known to pay special attention to girls who came to her events. If they were tiny and shy, she might kneel down and tell them to always hold their chin up. She even gently insisted to a newborn girl, you are going to lead. I know you hear me. Paris Bond was 13 when she met Harris last November in Muscatine, Iowa. It's a big breakthrough for young black people, boys and girls, because it shows us that we can do something that we set our mind to. Paris recalls telling Harris that she had been elected president of her fifth grade class on the same day Harris was elected to the U.S. Senate in 2016. I remember her telling me a quote like, uh, you can be the first to do something, but don't be the last. And so she was telling me to create my path and, you know, inspire other people and little girls like she does. Sadie Bell was 12 when she had her Kamala encounter during the primary last spring. And I just remember that day being really, really magical. Sadie went to hear Harris speak in New Hampshire and afterward managed to work her way right up next to the candidate. I was small, so I got to squeeze past people. When she got close, Sadie burst out with this, You're such a good public speaker. How are you so good? I can tell you. Okay. So when you're standing up to speak... In a video of the exchange, we see Harris clap Sadie's hands and lean in close to answer. Remember, this was pre-pandemic. Sadie now says, I really felt this connection. It's a little bit disappointing that it's 2020 and just now we're having a woman become vice president. But I definitely think it's also uplifting and... I think that she'll look like a boss, (laughs) but she'll be very cool. The Polk County Steak Fry is an Iowa presidential campaign ritual. Last September, Harris danced with gusto there alongside the Isisarets, a legendary youth drill and drum corps. She did good for her first time. She was trying to, like, replicate our moves, which was pretty funny to see. That 17-year-old Isisaret Diera Coleman. Kamala Harris may have had girls like Diera in mind when, months later, she said this in her victory speech. See yourselves in a way that others may not, simply because they've never seen it before. I think by that she just means, you know, step outside of the box. Always expand your mind to new things because nobody's going to expect you to do that because of their image of you. And you know, you can always, always prove them wrong. Melissa Block, NPR News. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. We all know why social media isn't good for us. Hunched shoulders, wrecked eyesight, the attention spans of a fruit fly, neglected children or parents or both, and lingerie ads suddenly appearing on your screen after you wake from a dream about going to France. Big Brother is watching, recording, and counting his $100 bills. I agree with all this, and next month I'll be tracking my time on the sites I use to figure out exactly how bad it is at my house. But I want to also cast my vote for social media's benefits. It's not just that I like to see photos of fall coming on and be in touch with long-lost friends from grade school. 
It's things like the video from Antarctica this morning of a baby Weddell seal who was singing in her sleep. Less than a minute of sound, yet my heart and day were transformed. I looked up Weddell seals and read about their big brains. I found the videographer, a marine biologist from New Zealand named Alice, and goggled at her photos of breaching right whales and congregating penguins. I wasn't isolated at home while doing this, either. I was in the morning rush at a coffee house, waving to friends, showing them the clip, and guzzling coffee. Then I wrote a poem which included the seal and scooted off to work. Feeling connected is not a bad thing. It's a human imperative. One can argue that without the net, we'd have to connect in traditional ways, borrowing sugar, writing postcards, and that those ways are better because they require physical effort and contact. I feel mixed about this. I live by myself with no nuclear family, and I'm always trying to sort out how to take care of my need for connection. I'm also a writer and require time alone and silence in order to work. Sometimes the net stands in for a partner. I can open a screen, say, Honey, I'm home. How was your day? And engage in conversations. I can complain, ask questions, deliver advice when I feel like advising. I get a lot of solace there. But solace is not an actual hug. The fun of being in a room with people and reading their body language or sharing an unspoken laugh doesn't work over Wi-Fi. I want both kinds of interaction the sweaty, real-time sensory engagement, and the impossibly distant miracle of a young seal whose sleep song sounds like birds chirping a beatbox rhythm played back through the dust of outer space. Maybe we can have both. I don't know. This is a 21st century conundrum all of us need to wrestle with. The web can be wildly addictive, is one problem, and we're the product, which is another not to mention Russian vote influencing, the dark net, sex trafficking, and other horrors. Today I'm happy Alice found that seal and gave me a look at Antarctica I would otherwise never have had. Now I'm closing up the computer and going outdoors for a while. I'll be home by three if you need to borrow some sugar. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Well, that's going to do it for our newscast for this evening. The KVMR Evening News is produced by Paul Emery Music. For their support, we'd like to thank Sweetland Garden Mercantile in North San Juan on the Ridge, offering organic compost tea and soil, bloom and trim supplies, also household tools, 292-9000, sweetlandgm.com. Dig it. All-phase heating and air conditioning, family-owned since 1995, reminding listeners Servicing heating and filtration systems supports a longer system lifespan. South Auburn Street in Grass Valley, allphasecomfort.com. And Simply Country, family-owned retailing farm and feed since 1964. 
carrying water storage tanks, organic feed, alfalfa, varieties of dog and cat food, also wood heat products. In Grass Valley and Penn Valley, simplycountry.net. Well, coming up next, it's Making Contact, and at 7 o'clock we bring you Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Felton Pruitt. Have a wonderful evening.